Appreciate everyone's presence this evening. I'll invite you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6 tonight. Matthew chapter 6. There were occasions as uh, Jesus interacted with uh, His apostles as they went about teaching and He's teaching them and training them to take the gospel out that uh, sometimes they had a little bit of difficulty understanding what He was teaching, understanding the meaning of His teaching. Sometimes He criticized them for their dullness, for their slowness to understand. There were occasions, and Mark chapter 9 mentions one of them, where they were a little bit afraid to ask Jesus what He meant. Uh, no doubt there, His criticism stung from time to time. And so on that occasion Jesus was explaining to them that He was going to Jerusalem, that He was going to be betrayed and delivered over and crucified and the third day be raised again. And they didn't understand that as we might expect. That was kind of an unusual thing for somebody to say, predict their own death and resurrection. So they didn't understand that. But on that occasion they were a little bit afraid to ask Jesus what He meant. But on other occasions they did ask Him to explain. They did ask Him to clarify His teaching. For example, in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 10, they asked, well, why do you teach in parables? So they, they asked Him to explain, and, and He did give an explanation. They even, and I think later on in that chapter, verse 36, asked Jesus to explain the parable of the tares to them. They didn't understand, apparently, and so they asked Him for uh, some further instruction and explanation. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus told the apostles, they're showing Him the buildings of the temple and how beautiful they were. And Jesus says, well, the day is coming when not one stone will be left upon another. And a little bit later they said, what, what did you mean by that? Explain, explain what you said to us. In Matthew chapter 10, or rather Mark chapter 10 and verse 10, after Jesus teaches on marriage and divorce, they get in the house and they ask Him again to clarify and to explain, to help them understand. And so there were times when the disciples did ask, help us understand these things, clarify this, explain this to us. Luke chapter 11 and verse 1 is such an occasion. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after He had finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught His disciples. Teach us to pray. Help us to learn. Help us understand how, how to pray. Now that's an interesting thing, I think, for them to ask. After all, Jews had a long history of praying. They had a long tradition of praying. They'd been praying for years and years and years. Some of them prayed every day. Some of them multiple times a day. And these were devout men. These, these were not strangers to, uh, to the faith. They had grown up as Jews, and no doubt they had been taught to pray as, as children. And so why is it that they would come to Jesus and ask Him, teach us to pray? Didn't they know how to pray? It may be that they had heard Jesus praying, and we saw in that, in that passage, Luke chapter 11, that Jesus was praying, and when He had finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so it may be that they had heard Him praying, and they perceive something special about His prayers. There's something different about the way He prays, something special about the way He prays. And it may be that they had learned prayers in their youth, and they were kind of reciting these prayers by rote, 
Jesus prayed in a very personal way. And so might have been something like that that they noticed about Jesus' prayers, something different about his prayers. And so they said, teach us, teach us to pray. The way John taught his disciples to pray. Or maybe they just saw some deficiencies in their own prayers. And since Jesus was this great spiritual guide with unique perspective on spiritual matters, they asked him, teach us to pray. John's disciples, no doubt, so that in him, here's a man with a special insight into spiritual things, and we can learn a lot from him. And so they asked John to teach them how to pray. And here Jesus' disciples are asking him to teach them. Whatever the situation was exactly, we understand that even the most experienced person can learn to pray better. Everybody agree with that? <laughs> even the most experienced prayer can learn to do it better. I, I don't know that maybe somebody is, but uh, I'm certainly not super confident in the effectiveness of my prayers. I, I think I, there's room for me to improve, and I can do it better. And so let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Now there's an account of this in Luke chapter 11, as uh, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, but the fuller account is here in Matthew chapter 6, and beginning in, in, verse, in verse 9. And so Jesus says, pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I just want to draw out about four observations about this example. This is really sort of a model prayer is called sometimes, more frequently called the Lord's Prayer. But this is really what Jesus taught his disciples when he's teaching them to pray. Pray like this. And it would be really a misuse of this particular prayer for us to memorize it and just recite it by rote. Uh, without uh, giving much thought to the content. We could spend a lot of time on it, but we're just going to draw out about four observations. First of all, Jesus teaches His disciples to pray, Our Father who is in heaven. When we pray, we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. And so we're going to talk about that, flesh that out a little bit. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. So you can see... Jesus teaching His disciples to pray. Here's how you begin your prayer. And again, you can begin our prayers in a variety of ways, but we're praying to the Father in the name of Jesus. And so Jesus Himself does this. Look at Matthew chapter 11. We have a, an example of one of Jesus' prayer in verse 25. That time Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. And so, I praise you, Father. And so, he's directing his prayer to the Father. You see it in other examples as well. Maybe Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane is a good example of this. He begins his prayer, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray as He prayed. Our Father, Jesus says, My Father. 
we have an opportunity to speak directly to the Father in prayer. Now that's an amazing thing, isn't it? How, how special an occasion would it be if we had an opportunity to speak to someone in the highest office of the land? Well, we take that very seriously, I think. Here we are, able to speak to the Creator of the universe. You know, our Creator, our Sustainer. And so we're able to go to the Father in prayer. So someone might ask, how can we sinful people have access to the Father? Well, of course, our sin has created a barrier between us and God. But Jesus has opened access to God for us as our mediator. And so how is it that, that I, a sinful man, can address the Father who is holy? Well, Jesus has opened up the way. Jesus is our mediator. He's opened up the way to the Father. And so 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Well, what does it mean that Jesus is the mediator between Christ and man? I can remember growing up being taught that a mediator is a go-between. That Jesus is the go-between between man and God. And, and I sort of formulated the idea that when you prayed, Jesus heard your prayer, and then He's the one that took that to the Father. But I, I don't think that's right. I've changed my, my mind about that. Jesus mediates for us in that He removes what offends God about us, what, what God is offended about us. He, he, he removes that. He removes the offense. And with the offense removed, we have access then to the Father. So Jesus mediates in that He stepped in and removed the sin that separates us from God in a way that satisfies God. And so why is it that, that we're separated? Why, why, what's created this barrier? Our sin. But Christ has come in. He's taken that sin away. And now we have access to the Father because of the work of Christ. As our mediator, He's opened the way for us to address God. And so we pray, Our Father. We're speaking directly to God in the name of Christ. Another reason we can't have access to the Father is because we're children of God. We're, we're His children. He's our Father. And so we can go to Him as His children. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, John says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. And so we are children of God. And as His children, we can express our concerns and go to Him in prayer, make our requests, and so forth. Chapter 5, Jesus says in verse 15, we know that He hears us. And whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from Him. Why is that? Because we're His children. He's our Father. He's a loving Father. And so he listens and hears his children. And so we may approach him with our praise, with our concerns, with our requests, and so forth. And so why is it or how is it possible for me, a sinful man, to go to God and express myself to him? Well, Jesus has opened up that way because in Christ we have the remission of our sins. Our sins are forgiven. And so that creates the possibility of access to the Father. And we are children of God. And so as children of our loving Father, we can go to Him and express our, ourselves. Now Paul also teaches that we are to pray to the Father 
in the name of the Son. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, for example, and verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Christ, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. And so we're giving thanks in the name of Christ, giving thanks to God. And you see that again in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. And so we're taught from Jesus to pray our Father. That's confirmed in the epistles as well. Maybe a good example of that is in Ephesians chapter 3. We have uh, this prayer in the book of Ephesians, verse 14. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, I'm not one that says we cannot address Christ at all. We, we do find on occasion a passage that suggests that it's appropriate to be thankful to Christ for what He's done. One of those would be 1 Timothy chapter 1 and um, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because He considered me faithful putting me into His service. So Paul says, I thank Christ. Not, I'm thankful that Christ did this, but I thank Christ that He counted me faithful and put me into His service. Jesus says in John 14, verse 14, Ask me anything in my name and it will be done for you. But the usual pattern, the usual practice is to address the Father in the name of Jesus. And so, in John chapter 15, verse 16, we find this statement, You did not choose me, but I chose you, appointed you, that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, it will be given to you. Let me just make a few observations about praying in Jesus' name. I hear sometimes people addressing God and at the end of the prayer saying, In, in your name we pray. And I'm not sure if they're praying to the Father and then praying in the Father's name, or if their words are being addressed to Christ and praying in Christ's name. I'm not quite sure about all of that. And so I think we, maybe we need to make an adjustment and pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. To pray to the Father in Jesus' name suggests these things. That we come to the Father as a disciple of Jesus. And so I'm praying to the Father in Jesus' name, and so I'm claiming to be, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I belong to Him. I'm a disciple of His. And I'm coming to you in His name. It suggests the approval of Christ as well. And so I'm praying with His approval. You know, it, it, I'm praying in His name and with His support and His approval. And it also suggests the authority of Christ. I'm praying with the authority of Christ supporting my prayer. If I work for Alabama Power, like some of our, our guys do, if I work, and, and women do for that matter, if I, if I work for Alabama Power and I went to a conference in the name of Alabama Power, well that, that would suggest that first of all I'm a member, I, I'm an employee of Alabama Power. But it would also suggest that I'm there with the approval of Alabama Power. And if I have some comment to make or some say, I'm there with the authority of Alabama Power. That's what the suggestion in the, or the, 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 the phrase in the name of suggests. 
we would come to the Father in Jesus' name because He's overcome and sits at God's right hand. And so why do we come to the Father in Jesus' name? Well, Jesus has overcome the world and He sits, He rules at God's right hand. And so we come in His name. John 16, 23, In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, He will give it to you. Until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy will be made full. Up till now you haven't asked in my name. But I'm going away, I'm going to the Father, I'm going to sit at His right hand, and now you will ask in my name. Coming to the Father in the name of Jesus gives our prayer weight, or importance, or seriousness. And it influences Him to hear them. I'm coming in Jesus' name. And that that means something to the Father. And so we want to follow this pattern Pray to the Father in Jesus' name. And it may be that we express that in the traditional way at the end of our prayers as we're closing the prayer. We say, in Jesus' name we ask these things. Or you can do it another way. Maybe at the beginning of the prayer you might express that idea. But we want to follow that pattern, praying to the Father in Jesus' name. A second point. When we pray we want to give God the glory Jesus taught His disciples to begin prayer by glorifying God. After the address, our Father who is in heaven, this is the very first thing. Hallowed be your name. When we say this, we mean more than just the name itself is is holy. The name stands for the person. This is God's name. And so the name stands for the person who bears the name. So when we say, Hallowed be thy name, we're acknowledging the holiness of God Himself, His purity, His superiority of all others, His set-apartness, so to speak. And so we're giving Him glory. We're acknowledging His superiority and His purity. Hallowed be your name. I want to look at an example of this or two. Go back to the book of 2 Chronicles or rather 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and look at the prayer of David. David begins this prayer. It's a great prayer. No doubt that's why it's included in the text. But look at how he begins the prayer in verse 10. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty, indeed, indeed everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Riches and honor come for, for, from you. That's a good way to begin a prayer. <laughs> Exalting God, praising God for all of these attributes of His, His greatness, His power, His glory, His victory, and so forth. What do we want to accomplish in our prayers? What are we we doing when we pray? Well, we might say, well, you know, I want to express my concerns to God. I want to make my requests of God. Do do we ever think, in my prayers, I want to praise God? And so our prayers not only need to be requests and concerns, but also 
a confession of faith in God as the Almighty. And so prayer is an act of praise. So at some point in our prayers, at some point, perhaps at the beginning as David did and as Jesus did, we want to praise Him by acknowledging His attributes, His greatness, His power, His glory, His majesty, His dominion, His might. He is the ruler, the creator, the Lord of hosts, that He alone is God. But also we praise Him for His grace, His mercy, compassion, His generosity and kindness, and His love. What better way to begin a prayer than a statement of adoration or a statement of praise? We can see Jesus teaching His disciples to do that. And we can see examples of that in Scripture as well. Wonderful way to begin. A third point we want to make is this. In our prayers, we pray for God's interests to be accomplished. All right, so Jesus taught His disciples to pray, as you can see here, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. We know that when Christ ascended to the right hand of God, He began to exercise rule over His kingdom in a new way. And so Christ dies, He's buried, He's raised from the dead, He ascends to the right hand of God, and He begins to rule in a, in a new way over, over His, His people. The, the church, we, the church, submit to that rule. We yield to His rule. We accept it and we obey Him. So He's the King and we are the people in His kingdom. And so in that sense, of course, His kingdom has come, but we still pray that God's will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you might notice that in this particular example, that is said even before any request is made. <laughs> Even before Jesus said, now before you get to asking God for things, you praise Him. You say, may your will be done in, on earth as it is in heaven. This is borne out in other places as well. In James chapter 4, you remember verse 13, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a, vap a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this and that. If the Lord will. May the Lord's will be done. Now if the Lord's will... If it is the Lord's will, well then, I'll go tomorrow and I'll do this or that. And so, we, in all things, want God's will to be done. Look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 15. Here's a little section in the book of John that deals with prayer. And in verse 15 he says, And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked of Him. And so, uh, verse 14, this is the confidence which we have before Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And so, we're asking according to His will. We're expressing that, may Your will be done in, in my life, but may Your will be done in all things. And again, I think it's significant that Jesus places this before any request in, in this prayer. So, before we get to our concerns... We pray that God's will, His interests might be accomplished. There are two ways, I, I suppose, that God's will could be accomplished. God could accomplish His will in the earth, 
Or it may be that men recognize God's authority and they do His will. And I suppose we're asking for both of those. And so your will be done. You do your will in the earth. And we're also asking, may people around us, including myself, may we recognize your authority and do your will in the earth. And so your will be done. Jesus shows us the way in this, doesn't He? In Matthew chapter 26, we saw this, I think, just a moment ago. In the Garden of Gethsemane, He prays, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from Me. Yet not as I will, but as You will. Not as I will, but as You will. Our tendency, I think, is to make this observation when praying for the sick. And so we may say, may they regain a reasonable portion of health or something like that. If it's your will. That's perfectly fine. Got no problem with that. But this idea isn't restricted just to people's health, is it? In all things, whatever it is, your will be done. Now, it occurred to me that's kind of a dangerous thing to say, isn't it? That's that's a little bit dangerous. Why would I say that? (laughs) Well, what if God's will is not something to my advantage? Do I still want God's will to be done? After all, it wasn't God's will that the cup passed from Jesus. That wasn't His will. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul prays three times that the thorn in the flesh might be removed from him, but it wasn't God's will that the thorn in the flesh be removed. And so, and so what if your will be done means that whatever our thorn in the flesh might be, it continues? Or some difficult circumstance might come our way. And so it's a little bit dangerous to say... <laughs> Your will be done. But are we willing to pray that nonetheless? Well, we should be. Your will be done in all things, even if it means I go through hardship, even if it means I go through some difficulty in life. Your will be done in all things. Now, we know that ultimately, I mean ultimately, these things will work to our good if we're faithful. Maybe not right now, maybe not temporarily, maybe not in this life. But if we're faithful and God's will is done, yes, it will work out to our benefit. The last observation I want to make is this. Now we get to the requests. So in emphasizing that prayer is an act of praise and an expression of the priority of God's will above ours, we don't want to leave the impression that making requests of God is inappropriate. It's certainly appropriate for us to make our requests of God. And so we say that prayer is an act of praise, and we want to include that, and, and you know, we, we want to place a priority on God's will being done. We don't, don't want to minimize the appropriateness of making our requests known to God. We're, we're taught to do this in other places as well. James chapter 4, and the very last part of verse 2 tells us, you have not because you ask not. You know? And so you have not because you ask not. You need to ask God to provide the things that you need and make your desire known to God. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14, this is the confidence which we have before Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we ask from Him. It's perfectly right for us to ask God to give us things. Another good passage about that is Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So Paul is teaching us to make our requests to God. Remember Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Yes, God invites us. Ask, ask me. Let your request be made known to me. In some cases, you don't have because you don't ask. When asking and making our requests of God, we show our dependence on Him. He is the one who supplies our needs. He is the one who's going to grant me the things that I need in this life. We want to ask according to His will. We don't want to ask to, so that we might spend it in our pleasures, but we want to ask nonetheless. So our prayers shouldn't be merely, give me this, give me that sessions. But we're to make our requests known to God for spiritual things, as you see here, some spiritual things, and some physical things. Incidentally, the physical comes before the spiritual in this example. Give us this day our daily bread, then forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so we ask for the physical, God grants us that. We ask for the spiritual as well. Now, is there a limit to what we ought to ask for? Well, we alluded to James chapter 4 and verse 3 just a moment ago when James criticizes the, the first readers there. They, they ask so that they might spend it in their pleasures. That verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasure. So we don't want to do that. But, but is there a limit to the things that we can ask for? Well, Hezekiah, remember Hezekiah, uh, the Assyrians were coming down on, on Jerusalem. He was very concerned about that, very worried about this. You'll find this in um, Isaiah 37, verses 14 through 16. And so Hezekiah prayed on behalf of the nation. He prayed for a pretty big thing, didn't he? That's, that's a big thing. <laughs> Praying on behalf of the nation. And we may ask for small things like daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. We approach God as a child might approach a loving father. If the child is concerned, if he's worried, if he's anxious, if he believes he needs a thing, he asks. After all, he's got a loving father who's going to provide for, for him. And the wiser father sorts it all out, doesn't he? <laughs> and so he may understand, well, son, you don't need that. Or he might say, well, you don't need that right now, maybe later. Or he may say, yeah, that's a good idea. And so we go to God as children, going to a wiser father. And if we're concerned, we express our concern. If we're anxious, we express our anxiety. And let him sort it all out be willing to accept his answer. And so if it's a concern to you, ask the Father about it. Pray for personal concerns. Physical concerns for health, for example. Pray for spiritual concerns. Pray that we might overcome temptation or that we might grow and develop as a child of God. Pray for wisdom and patience and compassion and courage. Pray for those things. A student might Pray to do well on a test. I don't think that's out of line at all. I've prayed that prayer before, you know. A little anxious about this test. Help me. Help me 
to do well. And here's a child simply going to his father with a concern. A young person might ask to find a good companion or a good job. A parent might ask for wisdom in raising his or her children, might pray that adequate provision might be made for his family. And so those are the things that we can pray for. We can pray for some small things like daily bread, or we can pray for some big things as well. We're taught to pray for the leaders of the nation. Pray for the nation itself. Pray that people might be provided for. So think of the people in the world that are going hungry. You might have seen some reports about, for example, a place like Somalia, or we mentioned this morning the earthquake victims. And so, and so we pray that people might be provided. Now that's, that's a pretty big thing. And yet that's appropriate for a child of God to pray. Pray that justice might prevail. Pray that peace might prevail. So all of those things are appropriate as children of God to pray for. And so here are things that we want to do in our prayers. We want to go to our Father in Jesus' name. We want to pray that His will will be done in all things. We want to make our requests to Him. Give us our physical needs and pray for the small things. And then pray for our spiritual needs as well. Pray for the big things. And so in everything, let your requests be made known to God. Again, we have a loving Father, the Creator of the universe. What a wonderful blessing it is to be able to go to Him and to express ourselves to Him. And He loves us and He will hear our prayers. And at the same time, we know that we can improve our prayers as well. And so maybe these observations will help in some way. And so, let's pray together. Our Father in Heaven, we are so thankful that you have such great love for us, that you are willing to hear us when we pray. You've invited us to come to you in prayer. And Father, we ask that you hear us as we pray tonight. First of all, Father, we bow before you, recognize that you are the great I Am, the Creator of all things. We praise you for your power and your might and your strength. We praise you for your glory for your dominion, for your majesty and splendor. We praise you for your wisdom. We also praise you, Father, for your generosity, your kindness, your mercy and compassion. Father, we are especially thankful for your love and how that love has been manifested toward us in the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, as your children to manifest those qualities in our own lives and return that love that you have for us back to you and manifest that love for others. Father, we pray that your will will be done in all things. Whatever it is, your will be done. And we yield to you. We may, Father, in our judgment, make our requests. We may have an idea of how thing, we want things to go, but... You know best, Father, so we yield to your will. May, may it be done throughout the earth as it is in heaven. Father, we ask you to provide for us day by day. And so give us each day our daily bread. Take care of us. Give us the things that we need in life. And Father, we pray that 
you'll be with us spiritually as well, that you'll help us grow and develop, that you'll help us in our devotion to you, that, that you'll guard us from temptation. When those temptations come, Father, we pray that you'll be with us and help us to negotiate our way through that by taking that way of escape that you always provide your children. And Father, we pray that you'll continue to be with us, that you'll take care of us all the way through our lives. Father, we pray for this world that we live in. In many ways, Father, it's a very dark place. There are people that are suffering in this world in many different ways. And so we pray, Father, that their, their, their pain will be relieved, that their needs will be met. Father, we pray that we'll have an opportunity in some way to do good to those around us. And so, Father, we pray for our nation, but we pray for those throughout the world that are in affliction at this time. Father, we pray for your people. Pray for the church, the body of Christ. We pray, Father, that peace may prevail in the body of Christ, that we will stand for truth, and that we will shine the light of your truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, throughout the world. Especially, Father, we pray for this congregation. We pray that it might stand for truth, that people will come and that they'll learn about you, and that this congregation will, will grow in numerically as people come and learn about you. But especially, Father, we pray for each individual here that we may grow spiritually and become the kind of people that you would have us to be. Father, we don't know how to pray very well, and so we ask you to help us, to teach us, to, uh, to be patient with us, to help us to grow in our, our understanding, and that we might become more and more effective in our prayers to you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. If you're here tonight, you're not a child of